Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo and welcome to video number 70 and audio season 3, episode 35 of Music is Not a Genre. Each week I take a release or several from my collection. I discuss them, I give my take on them, I throw in some interesting tidbits and facts and a lot of opinions and I connect them to my music, other music and other things in the world uh, please take a moment if you are on YouTube and watching this to subscribe and hit the bell so you will be notified every time I upload a new video. If you are listening on audio, please go and check my page on anchor.fm slash nick You can find all of the podcasts there and some more information and uh, gives you an opportunity to donate too. If you would like to do that, I would very much appreciate that. And or anybody listening or watching, please go over to patreon.com slash music is not a genre and you can support the podcast and uh, my live performances and other things there. This week, the topic is the Foo Fighters, drummers who rule once they get off the throne. So every band member has their role, right? I'm actually in the middle of uh, putting together and rehearsing a band for a a gig for my band, Wreck, uh, in a couple of weeks as of the taping of this. And um, part of the job there as a band leader is to know who's doing what. Some things are pretty obvious. You're playing bass, you're playing guitar, keyboards, Uh, vocals, uh, maybe a little less obvious when it comes to backup vocals, things like that, who does what. But there are bands who have members whose roles have fluctuated. They've changed over the years or people who made decisions to make changes. And that's sort of what this is about, uh, among other things, as well as it being about the awesome band, the freaking Foo Fighters. And we're going to get into all of that Trust me. Um, But as I said in the title, we're going to focus on drummers. And if you know the foos, you know the reason there. It's obvious. When you think of a drummer for, uh, you know, a band, rock band, even a jazz band, you know, just like the band drummer. You think of them on their throne, which is is what they often call uh, the seat that they sit on behind the kit just holding down the rhythm and the structure, adding dynamics and energy, uh, such a difference between live drumming and recorded drumming. They may do the rare backup vocal, uh, or there are more backup vocals, or even an, e- an even rarer lead vocal, but 95% of drummers 
according to uh, my organization, The Guestimators, uh, just drum. They just drum and throw in, like I said, a few vocals here and there. They sit on their throne behind the kit and don't come out unless they're taking a bow or they're leaving the stage uh, or they're trashing the kit for fun. Uh, but what about the other uh, 5% that the guestimators say are different from those uh, normal drummers, the regular drummers? That's kind of what we're talking about here. There are drummers who do more than drum on a regular basis. Uh, and I'm kind of breaking these down into categories. So you have that first category, which is drummers who drum, and that's pretty much all they do. Right? And there's too many to name there. Then you have the drummer who does a lot of backup vocals and the occasional lead vocal, maybe even one on every album uh, or something close to that, such as Roger Taylor of Queen, Peter Chris of Kiss, Grant Hart of, Hus of Husker Du, uh, even Foo Fighters' Taylor Hawkins, uh, who does you know backups and the occasional lead. You have, uh, and, and, and I'm going to count temporarily Ringo in that because when he was with the Beatles that's what he did um always had a song in every album that kind of thing but you'll see why I mentioned him again later uh then you have drummers who sang lead from the start you have people like Dave Clark of the Dave Clark Five was the drummer and the lead singer Mickey Dolenz of the Monkees was one of the main lead singers last train to Clarksville and so many of their hits Lee Von Helm of the band did quite a bit of the lead singing as well as the drumming. Sheila E., just, I, it's too much to say about her, just absolutely amazing. Anderson Pack, guy I really respect because you don't see this often. Drummers, drummers who stay behind the kit and sing lead at the same time, uh, in, the, in the modern era especially, so a lot of respect there. You have then the people who do everything or did everything or can do everything or to choose to do whatever they want to do on any recording and off sometimes live as well but in particular on recordings such as Paul McCartney, Stevie Wonder, uh, Todd Rundgren who did a lot of his own uh, instruments and Prince who did everything. Um, then another category you have Lead singers, because this is what we're talking about here, drummers who rule once they get off the throne. So we're talking about the transition between drumming and leading. And um, you, you have those lead singers who are drummers. They drum. They know how to drum. They have, they have drummed before. But transitioned from drumming either very early on or never really did drum in the bands that they were in that made them famous. Um, for example, Rick Astley learned recently he's actually a great drummer. Everybody knows him for his vocals and for, uh, you know, he plays the guitar and stuff like that. Uh, Chris Cornell, Soundgarden, actually started as the drummer before realizing he needed to be uh, uh, up front. But that was very, very early on. Um, and then Jack White. He is, you know, Meg White was the drummer for the White Stripes, but Jack White's drummer as well. I'm sure he did some of the drumming and some of the recordings or on some other thing. But from the beginning of the White Stripes, we know him as the guy up front playing the guitar, you know, and singing. Um, now, that brings us to the category that we're actually talking about this week. And for those of you counting at home, tell me how many categories that was because I forget. 
And I have it written down here. See, those of you watching, this is my notes. I still forget. Uh, the category is, again, those drummers who transition from just being a drummer, occasional lead, some backups, to being the total, not just lead singer, but the total leader of the band. Um, you have, I think, probably the pinnacle. I'm going to say the pinnacle is Phil Collins who took over for Peter Gabriel once he left Genesis and continued to drum there, but eventually transitioned to being the leader and lead singer and uh, certainly of his solo career. Karen Carpenter, great drummer. I didn't know that. I found that out. That's what research does. Um, she, she is known for having a beautiful voice. And for her brother, you know, backing her up and, and the two of them, you know, their voices meshing so well together. Uh, not as well known was that her brother had a jazz band before they, you know, did what they did that made them famous. And she was the drummer for that band. Uh, Don Henley of the Eagles. Uh, I, I don't know much about the Eagles. I never really delved into them. But the older I get, you know, the more you learn and all that stuff. I didn't know he was the drummer for the Eagles. I knew him as a lead singer. I knew him as, uh, I know his voice. I can hear his voice in my head, especially for some of his, you know, solo stuff. Uh, did he sing End of the Innocence? I believe. And all from the 80s and stuff like that. Uh, he certainly transitioned from being kind of just the drummer with the occasional vocal here and there to growing to the point where he was doing more leads and then just leading. Uh, and uh, Ringo, I'm, uh, you know, I'm mentioning him twice because he had, you know, those two phases of the career of the people in the Beatles. He eventually, and I saw him live, and yeah, he went back on the drums for a couple songs, but no, he not only does he lead his all-star band and has for 30-some years, he is the lead singer and prefers to stay up there dancing, singing, doing his thing, and like I said, occasionally going back to the drums. That is a transition. That's a transition. And oh, am I forgetting somebody? Oh yeah, Dave Grohl. The whole reason I made all this stuff up, I mean, oh well, put it all together, let's say. I didn't make it up. Um, or did I? Dave Grohl, uh, if you know him, uh, then, you, well, you know, I won't say then you know this, because I know somebody who knows the Foo Fighters, who knew Dave, kind of knew Dave Grohl's name, didn't know his history, just it was an, maybe an age thing. Um, so I will say, for those of you who do or don't know, Dave Grohl was the uh, drummer for Nirvana, not their original drummer, but the drummer that took them, you know, to where they went. Uh, had a history in the DC punk scene, hardcore punk, prior to that, uh, before, you know, working through every day. He did some tours even, you know, before joining Nirvana. Uh, however it is, they hooked up. They got famous in 1994. Kurt Cobain kills himself. The whole thing implodes. Uh, what we may not have known at the time is that Dave Grohl had already been writing songs and recording some demos and things that he passed around to people. I uh, forget the name of the, the, the kind of the band the, that he sort of made up while he was in Nirvana. In, and I think he released something in 92. And he did sing, I think, on a track or two, or one, maybe one lead track on a Nirvana album. 
But other than that, uh, as we know, he did drumming, some of the most powerful drumming in history and, and intricate as well, and uh, backup vocals, you know. Then Nirvana is over. He has all these offers from other bands, including Pearl Jam, but knows that what he wants to do, what he needs to do is create his own music and to kind of lead that charge. So he, and I believe it was initially as a joke, came up with the name Foo Fighters, which comes from, I think, some World War II military term uh, about UFOs. And uh, that's why those of you can see, I'm holding up their first album because I'm talking about it now. It's called Foo Fighters, eponymous. And it has like a laser gun on the front. And that was a reference to the kind of alien thing. Uh, but just made it up as a joke. He's even quoted as saying if he, if he had any idea this would have you know, become successful and last as long as it did, he would have picked a different name. Which is kind of funny because I love the name and I'm sure a lot of other people do. He went into the studio and recorded like 99.5% of that first album himself. All of the instruments uh, wrote the songs. Greg Dully uh, from Afghan Wigs, I believe, contributed guitar on something. But otherwise, it was him. It was all Dave Grohl. Is we maybe throw him at that point in his career in that category of the people who did everything, like McCartney and Stevie Wonder, Tyler Rungren, and Prince, and so many others. I know I'm, these are short lists that are incomplete. Uh, but realized he wanted to take it further. He passed it around. People would say, hey, it's good, and you know, put a band together to tour. And that was the beginning of his transition from an amazing drummer who could have gone down in history already without having done a single other thing to forming and leading a brand new band that has now itself made history. They are now their own legends. They are, uh, well, I would say, currently one of the main standard bearers of rock, of hard rock. And they're kind of almost ambassadors to that by virtue of some of the activities they've had, especially in the last five years, uh, which we'll get to. I, I'm going to kind of go in somewhat in chronological order here. But man, let's think about 1994 for a second. If you were old enough to have lived through that period and remember it, and were especially a fan of Nirvana and grunge, to have had that tragedy happen and to, uh, to have seen grunge start to transition out of itself and either become kind of that, you know, co-opted version of grunge, which had a bit of a sheen to it that wasn't as, you know, in some ways authentic, although I always dispute what that word means, uh, or transitioning so far out of grunge that you get the kind of records that, um, you know, Pearl Jam started to make in, in their, you know, uh, post-grunge period, let's say, a little rootsier and things like that, more exploration and all that bands who grow, you know. Uh, even Stone Temple Pilots, I mentioned in a different podcast, the bands who grow out of that. What was going to happen to that kind of aggressive, crunchy sound that Nirvana just blasted into the universe, you know, maybe didn't invent, but certainly, you know, codified it in some ways and uh, made it popular uh, other, you know, in, in a way that was still organic and, dy and dynamic on its own. Dave Grohl answered that. 
that first Foo Fighters album with, I mean, when I heard the song, I'll stick around with that, with that pretty rapid guitar riff, the uh, chord, you know, chordal guitar riff, it just blew my face off. It felt to me like a continuation of the kind of music that Nirvana might have made through one strain, through like a Smells Like Teen Spirit strain, had they continued. I know that Kurt Cobain had talked about uh, being fans of R.E.M. and the Monkees and wanting to go in a more pop direction and and uh, there might have been more, uh, you know, influence from the way they did things unplugged and, and, and a little more range as far as dynamics and things like that, yes. But they likely also would have done some super hard stuff and aggressive stuff, and that's where that early Foo Fighters stuff came in. And I was thrilled. I was at a time, you know, as I said before, when grunge was phasing out, in some ways, and when you know Kurt Cobain had killed himself, and so so many other you know things were happening to kind of mark the end of a of a very short era, to have Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters come out of the gate with that album with as much passion and power as they did, and craft, songwriting, craft, they took grunge, added some earlier rock influences, hard rock and and metal, but in particular hard rock and most importantly for me anyway power pop because the 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 songwriting was incredible from the get-go as well what a thrill what a what a cathartic thrill to have that album take hold the way it did at a time in a similar way to when when the whole album came out Courtney Love's band whole uh, that was itself a triumph, and I'm going to get to that in a future uh, podcast. But that same idea of from the ashes of tragedy, the you know, oh, Phoenix rises. Can't believe I said that. Uh, and out comes bands who who were related to that, who have this passion that just needs to be expressed and kind of exploded into the world. And great, right? So that's great. Could have made that one album and we would have said, oh, awesome, good follow-up. But then another album comes along. For those of you who can't see, I'm now holding up their second album, The Color and the Shape, one of my favorite covers of any album. It's got some science in there, I assume. I don't know what that is, frankly. Um, and the hits from that album were, you know, were even bigger. I mean, I know Monkey Wrench, but My Hero... That's the probably the and Everlong, you know, my hero and Everlong. So that second album was like no sophomore slump there, sophomore you know triumph, and shows that maybe we didn't know yet that they had staying power, but they had the they they had the substance, you know, they had the ability to put out more than one album of good music. And I say they at this point because he had formed a band, a couple members of Sunny Day Real Estate, which had recently broken up. And um, I think Pat Smear was in at the time. And quick word about Pat Smear, if you don't know him, he's a little older than uh, people from that era because he has a history from the late 70s of being in a punk band called The Germs. Seminal, seminal, seminal punk band. So for him to have been a part of Nirvana and the Foo Fighters must have been an honor for them and is an honor for them. But it's pretty awesome for him too because he's a he's a guy who 
deserves the credit for being in that original band and deserves a career that the career that he has had. So just a quick word there. And yeah, so what the Foo Fighters then continued to do over these 25 plus years, their 25th anniversary tour was canceled last year. Now it's like the 26th anniversary, whatever. Um, because, because he didn't quite have a band when the first album came out. So I guess that's why they're calling it that is, is, uh, put out albums that have always had at least one hit, have, have had tremendous amount of substance, have explored and grown and expanded their sound while still keeping that kind of core hard rock power pop sound with still hints of grunge, even to this day. And you get to that, you know, when, what happened with me was I thought, oh, the color and the shape was when I got most, it was when I started to get even a little more excited because, again, I said, I thought, geez, they're going to stick around like their first hit. I'll stick around. Um, and but who, you know, but I didn't. I was like, they can't possibly, you know, they're just going to stick with that kind of sound or what have you. And then I'm reaching over here, people, for the listeners out there, the one with the tattoo in the back of his neck of FF, the Foo Fighters, when they start, when they develop that F, that, that you know, the, that kind of font, there is nothing left to lose. And you have the song Learn to Fly. And it's a great album. I remember loving this album in the car and the CD player. But in particular, I'm putting this down so I don't knock things down here. Uh, when Learn to Fly took things to a whole other level, you know. And then you have, let's just keep going, because let's just keep going, right? One by One was, again, I thought, well, I like that album. You know, uh, there's nothing left to lose. But it had changed the sound to some degree. And I thought, where are they going to go? Um, their first song, the title, you know, not title, the, the opening track off of One by One, All My Life, if you've heard it, you're hearing hearing it in your head right now. If you know that song, you're hearing it in your head right now. Uh, times like these, which he, he has, Dave Grohl and Nirvana, have revived a lot lately because of the current times. Uh, and I'm not naming every single hit from every single album. The ones that I remember the most and the ones that really said to me, there's so much here. There's so much. And... It was really those third and fourth albums that said to me, they're not going away, you know, or I hope they don't go away. I hope they continue to develop the way they have developed. And at this point, uh, for years, you know, now at, at that point, their drummer was Taylor Hawkins, who I, who I mentioned briefly earlier. And this is the thing about Taylor Hawkins. So <laughs> you have a guy, Dave Grohl, who, who at that point, even in even in the mid-90s, was one of the most famous drummers ever. If you knew anything about drumming and that kind of music, or even other kinds of music. Like, because Nirvana who were who they were, he himself had some legend status already at that young age, but also because one of the best drummers... I put him up there in a different sense with Jimmy Chamberlain of Smashing Pumpkins and, you know, just that good of a drummer. Who wants to be up front? Imagine being the drummer who has to take his place. And I don't feel like there was a blink. You know, you listen to the first album, you're like, amazing. 
And you listen to the next albums when Taylor Hawkins started doing, you know, recording the drums and, and performing them live, and you didn't miss a step. And he's one of the members who stuck around for this entire time, you know. So for a guy like he had to have such confidence and certainly skill and a backbone, but also I believe, and I can't verify this, but I, and I know it's controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway. It seems like Dave Grohl was kind of an awesome guy, kind of the guy you would want to work with if you were a musician or in any other capacity in that he knows what he wants. He's good at forming it and getting it and creating it, but he has tremendous respect for the people he works with. And so I think that's, I don't know, I just watched this mini documentary that they put out a few months ago, and that's the sense I got. I've always gotten that sense. We'll talk a little more about why as I come up in the years. So coming up in the years, you have this album, In Your Honor, which is when they felt like, okay, these are like veterans now. Foo Fighters had kind of become veterans at this point, and I apologize, I don't recall what year this was out. But um, Best of You would be the big one, I think, from this, where you would, again, you're hearing it in your head. And it's a double album, too, which is you know, awesome. I like any band who at any point in their career says, I want to put out a double album because, you know, I mean, these days it doesn't even make a difference because everybody streams everything. But, you know, it's it's a bold statement to do a double album. And then you have Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace. And I will admit I don't have as much of a memory for this one, but I know that The Pretender was a, you know, a hit and uh, they had a couple of Long Road to Ruin, I believe, and it was one of those where you could tell they were expanding and exploring and kind of looking for other things. And that continued, I believe, on wasting light in some, uh, you know, of a different way with these days. And um, Rope, you know, was another big one. And also, again, just kind of a very cool cover. Um, the Code of Chrome kind of cover. And you're looking, if you're watching the video, you see that's it. Those are the eight albums, or was it eight? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven albums. But that's not it, because that was, my God, I think 10 years ago when Wasting Light came out. A few years later, they did this thing called Sonic Highways, from which an album came. And talk about exploration. They went around the country. They made a, an HBO show out of it. And in each city, they explored the history of music in that city and wrote and recorded a song in that city. And that's then you're kind of like, oh, there are ambitions well beyond the Foo Fighters here. There's, there's somebody of just a, just, a, just a tremendous love of music that there needs to be more communication about it than what one band can do or or wanted to do and thus the you know that tv show and the way they created that music and then they went back and did uh you know more of a standard kind of Foo Fighters album Concrete and Gold on which I believe Justin Timberlake contributed some stuff so again trying to expand and and you know look at you know more things they can do there and I remember uh a video from that album that was kind of awesome and uh i don't have these albums on cd because as you know if you've been listening to me i stopped buying cds about 10 years ago so it doesn't mean i don't talk about the music beyond that 
but that's why you're only seeing these seven here. And, uh, you know, I'm continuing completing in their, their uh, discography verbally because these are things I listen to on various streaming services. Um, then, then, this year or was it late last year? I don't remember. I think it was this year. They put out their recent album, Medicine at Midnight. And just when you thought, after, after something like, you know, uh, the stuff that they did in the early O's and Sonic Highways and doing that TV show and the, they're, you know, doing, I think, podcasts and, and uh, there's a series he's doing, a, kind of a shedding light on certain other things. And uh, just generally having fun and all that stuff. And you're like, oh, okay, now they're just established rock veterans and they're kind of, you know, easing into something. And then they put out this album, Medicine at Midnight, which adds so many other elements to it that the Foo Fighters didn't have. That You're like, oh, in some ways, it's only the beginning. You know, and sadly, I haven't seen them live yet. If anything's going to make me want to see them live, it's their recent album. And you know I always love it when a band who's been around a while continues to put out music that's as vibrant as any of the music they've ever done. It's not a retread. It's not just trying to please fans or, you know, check off some uh, boxes on a, on a list, but it's creating new music, you know, the way U2 still does and other bands like that who've been around quite a while. Uh, his daughter also sings on the album with him and sings live with him, which as a father, I absolutely love. And quick mention, I talk about being an ambassador of uh, the phenomenon of Nandy Bushel, that uh, the uh, British girl, I think is still only 10 years old, um, who's an amazing drummer herself and did this kind of challenge thing. What a family to grow up in, uh, that there's such a musical family. Uh, and challenged, quote unquote, Dave Grohl to a drum off. And they, you know, like, I'm not going to go through all of what happened there. But let's just say the main point here is that feeling of support and of extending the love of music, you know, in that way and in that direction to someone 40 years, you know, younger is is a testament, I think, to how great Dave Grohl is not just as a drummer and a singer and a writer and a producer and all of that stuff, but as a person and uh, how important that he and the Foo Fighters have become in the legacy of music in general uh, and certainly have been an influence on the music that I have created. I mean, it took a while because I was doing something different back around that time, but... Um, you know, when The Color and the Shape came out and I saw them, uh, you know, spell color in the British way, I know that influenced the title of my band Rex album, Parts and Labor, because I spell labor, L-A-B-O-U-R. Um, one of the influences. I mentioned another one last week, but that's definitely one of the influences. And uh, from that album, really, onward, that was the first album where you can hear a clear influence here. But from that album onward, there's a, there, there are at least a couple of tracks on each of rec, the Wreck albums that I've put out that have had a clear Foo Fighters influence. And the most recent one, hands down, because someone actually said, oh, this sounds like the Foo Fighters, even though 
again, when you create, you don't always have another band in mind, but subconsciously it's in there, is the song Don't Say You Don't from Rex's album Synergy for the Weird. It's the most recent album that we've put out. You'll, you, you'll hear it. Please click on that and listen to it, and you'll hear the similarity there and, and uh, it, because as an energy that we share in a certain way and, like I said, huge influence. Um, did, were you a fan or are you a fan of the Foo Fighters? Uh, do, were you a fan of Nirvana? Do you remember that period in 94 when all this stuff was kind of slipping away in the early 90s and we were transitioning to the mid-90s and some bands kind of took charge like the Foos and brought us into the future in a, in a certain way? Uh, did you have any idea then that they'd be where they are now? I did not. I absolutely didn't. Uh, did you, yeah, that, that they have such staying power that they're the standard bearers, the ambassadors, as much as they are, I want to know what you think because uh, comment, whether you agree or disagree, my objectives here are always music, conversation, and connection. Thank you so much for listening, for watching, for reading, for clicking the links, for reading again, for listening again, especially to Rex Music, to my music, for sharing Anybody you know who's a fan of any of the bands that I uh, profile, any of the music I profile, please pass on these videos for supporting, for subscribing, for donating, for being a Patreon patron, and, and just for being here. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.